Welcome to Tom Reads Books, the podcast where, whatever you're doing, I take you on an adventure through some of literature's most loved treasures. If you do enjoy the podcast, make sure to subscribe so that you never miss an episode, and also check out the Patreon at patreon.com slash tomreadsbooks, where I release two exclusive episodes every week of a completely different book, full audiobook versions of all books read, and you can help choose future books for me to read. Now, though, I'd like to invite you to settle in. Relax. And let me tell you a story. Wuthering Heights by Emily Bronte Chapter 7 We had sad work with little Cathy that day. She rose in high glee, eager to join her cousin, and such passionate tears and lamentations followed the news of his departure that Edgar himself was obliged to soothe her by affirming that he would come back soon. He added, however, if I can get him, and there were no hopes of that. This promise poorly pacified her, but time was more potent, and though still at intervals she inquired of her father when Linton would return, before she did see him again, his features had waxed so dim in her memory that she did not recognize him. When I chanced to encounter the housekeeper of Wuthering Heights in paying business visits to Gimmerton, I used to ask how the young master got on, for he lived almost as secluded as Catherine herself, and was never to be seen. I could gather from her that he continued in weak health, and was a tiresome inmate. She said Mr. Heathcliff seemed to dislike him ever longer and worse, though he took some trouble to conceal it. He had an antipathy to the sound of his voice, and could not do at all with his sitting in the same room with him many minutes together. There seldom passed much talk between them, Linton learnt his lessons and spent his evenings in a small apartment they called the parlour, or else lay in bed all day, for he was continuously getting coughs and colds and aches and pains of some sort. And I never knew such a faint-hearted creature, added the woman. No one so careful of Hislin. He will go on if I leave the window open a bit late in the evening. Oh, it's killing a breath of night air and he must have a fire in the middle of summer. And Joseph's backer-pipe is poison, and he must always have sweets and dainties and always milk, milk forever. He'd ignore how the rest of us are pinched in winter, and there he'll sit, wrapped in his furred cloak in his chair by the fire, and some toast or water or other slop on the hob to sip at. And if Harriton, for pity, comes to amuse him, Harriton is not bad-natured, though he's rough. They're short apart, one swearing and the other crying. I believe the master would relish Earnshaw's thrashing him to a mummy if he were not his son, and I'm certain he would be fit to turn him out of doors if he knew half the nursing he gives Hislin. But then, 
He won't go into danger of temptation. He never enters the parlour. And should Linton show those ways in the house where he is, he sends him upstairs directly. I divined from this account that utter lack of sympathy had rendered young Heathcliff selfish and disagreeable, if he were not so originally, and my interest in him consequently decayed, though still I was moved with a sense of grief at his lot, and a wish that he had been left with us. Mr. Edgar encouraged me to gain information. He thought a great deal about him, I fancy, and would have run some risk to see him, and he told me once to ask the housekeeper whether he came into the village. She said he had only been twice on horseback, accompanying his father, and both times he pretended to be quite knocked up for three or four days afterwards. That housekeeper left, if I recollect rightly, two years after he came, and another, whom I did not know, was her successor. She lives there still. Time wore on at the Grange in its former pleasant way, till Miss Cathy reached sixteen. On the anniversary of her birth, we never manifested any signs of rejoicing, because it was also the anniversary of my late mistress's death. Her father invariably spent that day alone in the library and walked at dusk as far as Gimmerton Kirkyard, where he would frequently prolong his stay beyond midnight. Therefore Catherine was thrown on her own resources for amusement. This 20th of March was a beautiful spring day, and when her father had retired, my young lady came down dressed for going out, and said she had asked to have a ramble on the edge of the moors with me, and Mr. Linton had given her leave if we were only a short distance and were back within the hour. So make haste, Ellen, she cried. I know where I shall wish to go, where a colony of moor game are settled. I want to see whether they have made their nests yet. That must be a good distance up, I answered. They don't breed on the edge of the moor. No, it's not, she said. I've gone very near with Papa. I put on my bonnet and sallied out, thinking nothing more of the matter. She bounded before me and returned to my side and was off again like a young greyhound, and at first I found plenty of entertainment in listening to the lark singing far and near, and enjoying the sweet warm sunshine and watching her, my pet and my delight with her golden ringlets flying loose behind and her bright cheek as soft and pure in its bloom as a wild rose, and her eyes radiant with cloudless pleasure. She was a happy creature and an angel in those days. It's a pity she could not be content. Well, said I, where are your more game, Miss Cathy? We should be at them. The Grange Park fence is a great way off now. Oh, a little further, only a little further, Ellen, was her answer continually. Climb to that hillock, past that bank, and by the time you reach the other side, I shall have raised the birds. But there were so many hillocks and banks to climb and pass that at length I began to be weary and told her we must halt and retrace our steps. I shouted to her as she had outstripped me a long way. She either did not hear or did not regard, for she still sprang on and I was compelled to follow. Finally, she dived into a hollow and before I came in sight of her again, she was two miles nearer Wuthering Heights than her own home, and I beheld a couple of persons arrest her, 
one of whom I felt convinced was Mr. Heathcliff himself. Cathy had been caught in the act of plundering, or at least hunting out the nests of the grouse. The heights were Heathcliff's land, and he was reproving the poacher. I have neither taken any nor found any, said she as I toiled to them, expanding her arms in corroboration of the statement. I didn't mean to take them, but Papa told me there were quantities up here, and I wished to see the eggs. Heathcliff glanced at me with an ill-meaning smile, expressing his acquaintance with the party, and consequently his malevolence towards it, and demanded who Papa was. Mr. Linton of Thrushcross Grange, she replied, I thought you did not know me, or you wouldn't have spoken that way. You suppose Papa is highly esteemed and respected, then? He said sarcastically. And what are you? inquired Catherine, gazing curiously on the speaker. That man I've seen before, is he your son? She pointed to Harriton, the other individual, who had gained nothing but increased bulk and strength by the addition of two years to his age. He seemed as awkward and rough as ever. Miss Cathy, I interrupted, it will be three hours instead of one that we were out presently. We really must go back. No, that man is not my son, answered Heathcliff, pushing me aside. But I have one, and you have seen him before too. And, though your nurse is in a hurry, I think both you and she would be the better for a little rest. Will you just turn this nab of heath and walk into my house? You'll get home earlier for the ease, and you shall receive a kind welcome. I whispered to Catherine that she mustn't on any account accede to the proposal. It was entirely out of the question. Why? she asked aloud. I'm tired of running, and the ground is dewy. I can't sit here. Let us go, Ellen. Besides, he says I have seen his son. He's mistaken, I think, but I guess where he lives at the farmhouse I visited in coming from Pennystone Crags. Don't you? I do. Come, Nelly, hold your tongue. It will be a treat for her to look in on us. Harriton, get forwards with the lass. You shall walk with me, Nelly. No, she is not going to any such place, I cried, struggling to release my arm, which he had seized but she was almost at the doorstones already, scampering round the brow at full speed. Her appointed companion did not pretend to escort her. He shied off by the roadside and vanished. Mr. Heathcliff, it's very wrong, I continued. You know you mean no good, and there she'll see Linton, and all will be told as soon as ever we return, and I shall have the blame. I want her to see Linton, he answered. He's looking better these few days. It's not often he's fit to be seen, and will soon persuade her to keep the visit secret. Where is the harm of it? The harm of it is that her father would hate me if he found I suffered her to enter your house, and I am convinced you have a bad design in encouraging her to do so, I replied. My design is as honest as possible. I'll inform you of its whole scope, he said, that the two cousins may fall in love and get married. I am acting generously to your master. His young chit has no expectations, and should she second my wishes, she'll be provided for at once as joint successor with Linton. If Linton died, I answered, and his life is quite uncertain, Catherine would be the heir. No, she would not, he said. There is no clause in the will to secure it so. His property would go to me, 
but to prevent disputes, I desire their union and am resolved to bring it about. And I am resolved she will never approach your house with me again. I returned as we reached the gate where Miss Cathy waited our coming. Heathcliff bid me be quiet, and preceding us up the path, hastened to open the door. My young lady gave him several looks, as if she could not exactly make up her mind what to think of him, but now he smiled when he met her eye, and softened his voice in addressing her, and I was foolish enough to imagine the memory of her mother might disarm him from desiring her injury. Linton stood on the hearth. He had been out walking in the fields, for his cap was on, and he was calling to Joseph to bring him dry shoes. He had grown tall of his age, still wanting some months of sixteen. His features were pretty yet, and his eye and complexion brighter than I remembered them, though with merely temporary luster, borrowed from the salubrious air and genial sun. Now, who is that? asked Heathcliff, turning to Cathy. Can you tell? Your son, she said, having doubtfully surveyed first one and then the other. Yes, yes, answered he, but is this the only time you have beheld him? Think. Ah, you have a short memory. Linton, don't you recall your cousin, that you used to tease us so with wishing to see? What? Linton? cried Cathy, kindling into joyful surprise at the name. Is that little Linton? He's taller than I am. Are you Linton? The youth stepped forward and acknowledged himself. She kissed him fervently, and they gazed with wonder at the change time had wrought in the appearance of each. Catherine had reached her full height. Her figure was both plump and slender, elastic as steel, and her whole aspect sparkling with health and spirits. Linton's looks and movements were very languid, and his form extremely slight, but there was a grace in his manner that mitigated these defects and rendered him not unpleasing. After exchanging numerous remarks of fondness with him, his cousin went to Mr. Heathcliff, who lingered by the door, dividing his attention between the objects inside and those that lay without, pretending, that is, to observe the latter and really noting the former alone. And you are my uncle, then, she cried, reaching up to salute him. I thought I liked you, though you were cross at first. Why don't you visit at the Grange with Linton? To live all these years such close neighbours and never see us is odd. What have you done so for? I visited it once or twice too often before you were born, he answered. There, damn it! If you have any kisses to spare, give them to Linton. They are thrown away on me. Naughty Ellen, exclaimed Catherine, flying to attack me next with her lavish caresses. Wicked Ellen, to try to hinder me from entering. But I'll take this walk every morning in future. May I, uncle, and sometimes bring papa? Won't you be glad to see us? Of course, replied the uncle with a hardly suppressed grimace, resulting from his deep aversion to both the proposed visitors. But stay, he continued, turning towards the young lady. Now I think of it, I'd better tell you. Mr. Linton has a prejudice against me. We quarreled at one time of our lives with unchristian ferocity, and if you mention coming here to him, he'll put a veto on your visits altogether. 
Therefore you must not mention it, unless you be careless of seeing your cousin hereafter. You may come, if you will, but you must not mention it. Why did you quarrel? asked Catherine, considerably crestfallen. He thought me too poor to wed his sister, answered Heathcliff, and was grieved that I got her. His pride was hurt, and he'll never forgive it. That's wrong, said the young lady. Sometime I'll tell him so, but Linton and I have no share in your quarrel. I will not come here, then. He shall come to the Grange. It will be too far for me, murmured her cousin. To walk four miles would kill me. No, come here, Miss Catherine, now and then, not every morning, but once or twice a week. The father launched towards his son a glance of bitter contempt. I am afraid, Nelly, I shall lose my labor, he muttered to me. Miss Catherine, as the ninny calls her, will discover his value and send him to the devil. Now, if it had been Harriton, do you know that twenty times a day I covered Harriton with all his degradation? I'd have loved the lad had he been someone else. But I think he's safe from her love. I'll pit him against that paltry creature unless it bestir itself briskly. We calculate it will scarcely last till it is eighteen. Oh, confound the vapid thing. He's absorbed in drying his feet and never looks at her. Linton! Yes, father, answered the boy. Have you nothing to show your cousin anywhere about, not even a rabbit or a weasel nest? Take her into the garden before you change your shoes, and into the stable to see your horse. Wouldn't you rather sit here? asked Linton, addressing Cathy in a tone which expressed reluctance to move again. I don't know, she replied, casting a longing look to the door and evidently eager to be active. He kept his seat and shrank closer to the fire. Heathcliff rose and went into the kitchen and from thence to the yard calling out for Harriton. Harriton responded and presently the two re-entered. The young man had been washing himself as was visible by the glow on his cheeks and his wetted hair. Oh, I'll ask you, uncle, cried Miss Cathy, recollecting the housekeeper's assertion. That's not my cousin, is he? Yes, he replied. Your mother's nephew. Don't you like him? Catherine looked queer. Is he not a handsome lad? He continued. The uncivil little thing stood on tiptoe and whispered a sentence in Heathcliff's ear. He laughed. Harriton darkened. I perceived he was very sensitive to suspected slights and had obviously a dim notion of his inferiority. But his master or guardian chased the frown by exclaiming, You'll be the favorite among us, Harriton. She says you are a, what was it? Well, something very flattering. Here, you go with her round the farm, and behave like a gentleman, mind. Don't use any bad words, and don't stare when the young lady is not looking at you. And be ready to hide your face when she is. And when you speak, say your words slowly, and keep your hands out of your pockets. Be off, and entertain her as nicely as you can. He watched the couple walking past the window. Earnshaw had his countenance completely averted from his companion. He seemed studying the familiar landscape with a stranger's and an artist's interest. Catherine took a sly look at him, expressing small admiration. 
She then turned her attention to seek out objects of amusement for herself and tripped merrily on, melting a tune to supply the lack of conversation. I've tied his tongue, observed Heathcliff. He'll not venture a single syllable all the time. Nelly, you recollect me at his age. Nay, some years younger. Did I ever look so stupid, so gormless, as Joseph calls it? Worse, I replied, because more sullen with it. I have a pleasure in him, he continued, reflecting aloud. He has satisfied my expectations. If he were a born fool, I should not enjoy it half so much, but he's no fool, and I can sympathize with all his feelings, having felt them myself. I know what he suffers now, for instance, exactly. It is merely a beginning of what he shall suffer there, and he'll never be able to emerge from his bathos of coarseness and ignorance. I've got him faster than his scoundrel of a father secured me, and lower, for he takes a pride in his brutishness. I've taught him to scorn everything extra animal as silly and weak. Don't you think Hindley would be proud of his son, if he could see him? Almost as proud as I am of mine. But there's this difference. One is gold put to the use of paving stones, and the other is tin polished to ape a service of silver. Mine has nothing valuable about it, yet I shall have the merit of making it go as far as the poor stuff can go. His had first-rate qualities, and they are lost, rendered worse than unavailing. I have nothing to regret. He would have more than any, but I are aware of. And the best of it is, Harriton is damnably fond of me. <laughs> You'll own that I have outmatched Hindley there. If the dead villain could rise from his grave to abuse me for his offspring's wrongs, I should have the fun of seeing the said offspring fight him back again, indignant that he should dare to rail at the one friend he has in the world. Heathcliff chuckled a fiendish laugh at the idea. I made no reply, because I saw that he expected none. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Tom Reads Books podcast. If you'd like to support the show, leaving a rating and a short review on whatever podcast platform you're using really goes a long way to help us reach new listeners. Other than that, I hope you have a wonderful day, and I look forward to reading to you again very soon.